Welcome, Nexus Church family online to our series we've entitled Win the Day. Now, this series is based off a very popular book by Mark Batterson by the same title. And really, it is our hope that we can use some of the tools he shared in his book on how you can live a victorious life. How do you get there? What does it mean? What does God have for you? It's my hope that over the course of these few weeks that we can examine that and help you to become all that God has for you. If you want more information about our church or would like to to come and visit us, you can go to nexuschurchmn.com and find all the information there. You can also Google search us, find us on Facebook at nexuschurchmn, and we would love to connect with you. Drop us a, a message, email us, and we will get back to you, and we will help you and encourage you as you walk with Jesus and connect to him and connect to others. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family online, to our final week in our series we've titled Win the Day. Now, over the course of the last few weeks, we've discovered a lot of different topics, including what it means to have time management, to set our priorities, and how to dream again, to leave a legacy. And today we are going to close this all down by really giving a call to to take a stand, to do something with what we have learned over the course of these seven weeks. Because honestly, we've learned a lot of powerful things that can radically change your life, that can get you focused on what really matters, right? But you can learn a lot of things. But in the end, it leaves you powerless. It doesn't do you any good. And so we want to take a stand. But here's something I also know that over the last two years, we've experienced some pretty radical things that have left many of us, including myself, really exhausted. We're tired. And so when we hear messages like this, it kind of leaves us in a place of, meh, just another thing. I don't want another thing to do. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Don't give me another thing. Come on. I'm overwhelmed. You know, experts have termed this now. This is a, a fairly new thing and new phenomenon. And so they're still trying to figure out a lot of details on this. But, but right now, this idea or this, this thing that they're throwing around, maybe you've heard of it, is called decision fatigue. Of course, this isn't something that's brand new, but it's something that's really been looked at a lot more lately. It is simply this idea that as the number of decisions that you make increase, the quality of decision-making diminishes. And so the more things you have to make a decision upon, the, the, the more weighty it is, the more things that we have to weigh to make that decision, it, your abilities diminish. 
not only does your, your skills to do them diminish, but like your ability to do it diminishes. You're exhausted. You're tired. You know, and a great example of this was just two weeks ago, my wife and I woke up on a Monday morning to, our, to one of our kids having a fever. Well, of course, automatically you have to think of what do we do because nowadays a fever isn't like what it once was. Uh, you keep a kid back home from school, you let the fever break, and you go back, right? Nowadays it's like one fever can radically change your week, even two weeks for some people, right? We have to go right to the decision tree making thing that the, the district has given us for the school, and, and you look on there, and of course, we all know this already, we didn't have to look, we knew that if we have a child with a fever, anybody who's unvaccinated in that home must now be quarantined until we get a negative COVID test back. Well, that just doesn't happen, right? You just don't go out and get a COVID test 10 minutes later, you're back at life. Yay, we're all good. So we have to keep those kids back. And the problem is, is we had a lot going on that week. I had some deadlines I had to make. My wife had some deadlines she had to make. And when we have two young kids at home that don't have anybody to watch them, we have to watch them. We can't send them to school. You know, it used to be, you give them some ibuprofen, and ah, the fever's okay. Maybe it was just a, a rough night of sleep, right? Maybe they had something that didn't agree with them, and their, their bodies are just fighting it, which is all good and true, right? But now, what if they did have COVID? What if we send them, and they get their teacher, who is pregnant, sick, and get their classmates sick. And now all of a sudden, they have multiple families who are being affected by this. Right? It goes beyond just us. Then, of course, we have all these different views on, on what to do and what not to do within the COVID scenario. And some people who just put it aside and say, that's silliness. Just keep living your life. And then you have others saying, you know, you need to be extra vigilant and, and wash everything and do all these crazy things. And so you have two different sizes constantly screaming at you, telling them that, telling you that they are the right way to do things. And you have to make a decision, right? And that's just one little silly thing, right? That's one tiny little decision that we had to make in a very crazy season of our life with school and working and, and hockey and all these things that are going on. That was just one thing in our busy week. No wonder why we're exhausted. That's just one thing that there are hundreds of views and experts telling you what to do and what not to do. And then you have to decide, what do I decide? And, and then, you know, what will people think? Because you're anything like me, you have friends on both sides of any stinking decision you can make who are, who are telling you you're stupid or you're stupid or you're smart or you're not so smart. Like, it's, it's constant. How do we make these decisions? How do we get back to attacking again, getting out and, and, and taking a stand? How do we do this again? Because this last two years has caused us to, to be scared of, of what to do and what not to do and who are we going to make enemies and where are we going to keep happy. And so today, I want to 
I want to change this for us. I want to hopefully inspire you to, to once again get out and make these decisions. Be confident in who you are. Stand up. Make a difference. Get on the attack again. Move those mountains. Make a difference. Be confident. The first way that we, to, we do that, to make that difference, to take that stand, to go somewhere, it all begins with trust. It all begins with trust. And, and honestly, I think this is that the, that the, the base, the foundation at the core of why we as a society have started spiraling downhill is because we have lost trust. Who do you believe anymore? Who is honest and telling truth? It used to be that you could go back to, to the news sources and they were fairly neutral. We can't do that anymore. It, social media isn't being honest anymore. And so we're basing our existence upon people who are not giving us verified truth. What is truth? Where do we go? I love how Julian Assange said it. said, you have to start with the truth. The truth is the only way that we can get anywhere because here it is, any decision-making that is based upon lies or ignorance can't lead to a good conclusion. Truth is the foundation of trust, right? Truth is the foundation to trust. And ultimately, the essence of of our faith is trust. Who we are as followers of Jesus, if you call Jesus your Savior, everything is based upon trust. That what we've been given from Him, from the Bible, is true. Listen to how Romans 10, 17 put it. This is Paul writing. And he says, Faith comes from hearing the Word. Of Christ. That is truth. Truth. Faith, faith based on truth of Jesus is the foundation of our trust. A perfect example of this is found in our what we've entitled in church world as the chapter of the heroes of faith. And that is Hebrews 11. These heroes of faith that did so many crazy things. And, and I want to read it to you today because we don't often do this. We refer to it in, in sermons all the time and, and in passing. But when's the last time you read through it and just listened to this trust that these men and women had in this, this God that we believe in as true? It's absolute trust. It is the essence of faith. It's the essence of who we are. And so this chapter begins with that beautiful statement of what is faith. And then it goes into giving us great examples. Listen to Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof is of what is not seen. 
for by it our ancestors of one God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, right? That is a true statement that we believe in, in faith. So that what was seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did, right? The very first sin that we see in the Bible after the fall of man is the killing of a brother. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gift. Even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, faith is possible without, sorry, let's say that again. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. Just pause it. That, that is like expanding upon verse 1. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Trust in the truth that he is real. That's good. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of the promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, In fact, from one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numeral as the grains of the sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed them that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would, have an out, they would have an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received a promise, and yet he was offering his only son. The one who would have been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. God promised him that, and yet he was willing to offer him up. What faith. He considered God to be able to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. He continues to go on and on. Then we get down to verse 32, and it's like, 
Finally, the writer of Hebrews was like, okay, I just keep going in depth into these stories and stories, but there's so many more, right? Verse 32, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, on mountains, hiding in caves and holes and grounds. All these were approved though through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God has provided something better for us that they would not be made perfect without us. Their faith and resulting trust was based in the truth of God. That's the bottom line. Everything that we read was based on the fact that they trusted God. They had faith that God was real. Though they couldn't see him necessarily, they believed and they trusted. So if you're going to take a stand, if you're going to win the day, if you're going to go forward in your life and, and do what God has called you to do, to be a light, to take a stand, you must trust that he is real. That he is true. That he will fight for you. He will surround you. He will be with you wherever you go. But trust alone is not enough. You see, in order to make a difference, to go forward, to win the day... You need to take action. It requires action. Amelia Earhart put it this way. She said the most difficult thing is the decision to act. I, I so resonate with that. Sometimes it's all in our head. And we just need to take action. We need to act. We get a beautiful picture of this in the life of Peter in Matthew chapter 14. I want to read this to you, and I, I realize that this is a very popular story, and you probably don't need to have it read to you today, but I just love hearing the Word of God read. It reminds us of who God is, that He's in control. So Matthew 14, verse 22, we read, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds, right? We just had this massive teaching and feeding of thousands, and it was time for them to take a little break, recover, eat, sleep, connect with God. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up onto the mountainside himself to pray, to spend a little time by himself with God. Well into the night, 
he was there alone. And meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So they weren't making any ground, right? Jesus sends them off, and here they are, just barely out from shore still, waiting for something to happen. I can imagine the thoughts, like, we've had a long day. We've fed thousands. We've heard Jesus teach. We've been kind of keeping things in line. And here we are in the middle of a storm. We're going to die. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I, don't be afraid. <laughs> like, what else can go wrong today, Jesus? Of course it's you. You're walking on water. <laughs> and so Jesus, Peter replies, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. It's like, all right, I believe you, prove it, right? Like he's establishing this truth in order to trust. And so Jesus says, come, and climbing out of the boat, Peter does it. He started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But then when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to think, he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, you little faith, why do you doubt when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God, right? Truth was established. And so often, I, I, I get it, I agree with the, P, the Peter critics out there, he makes some pretty stupid decisions, right? He fails a lot. But what we love about Peter is the reality that he takes action, Right? Once, once he has that truth established, that faith established, he is willing immediately to step out and take action. He does that consistently throughout the life of Jesus and beyond when we see him in the epistles. He takes action. It's something that we have to do. Right? We, we read this in the book of James. James chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. I think this is a very important thing to establish that, that it's, it's important to, to know the truth. It's important to, to have that trust. But we have to take action like Peter took action. And we read in verse 14 of James 2, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? You have that trust. You know that God is for you but without taking that action. It's weak. Verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, it is dead by itself. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. They believe. They don't necessarily trust God, but they believe. They know he's real. They trust that he's real, but they don't put their trust in him. A senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? Right, going right back to that same passage again. You see that faith was acted together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. 
And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Trust leads to action. It's not like we're trying to prove ourselves to anybody. It does kind of mention that in there. But it's more, it's just a result. It's a cause and effect. We trust, we believe, we act. We act. I like how Tony Robbins put it. He said, all decision-making is values-clarifying exercise. All decision-making is a values-clarifying exercise. Acting upon our faith proves its existence. Acting upon our faith proves its existence. So we must establish truth. We must know that what, what we're standing up for, what we're, what we're going to fight for in this life, this life that, that is to be lived for God, we must establish that it's true. We must trust it. We must act upon it. But then there's one more step that has to occur. It's what we see in the lack of Peter at times, right? Before the Holy Spirit comes, he lacked this. But this is so crucial to who we are as believers. It it establishes the credit of our faith, and that is follow through. Follow through. You see, to me, and I believe in, in the Bible's eyes, there can be so much more greater, so much greater damage done to the faith when we don't follow through on what we take action on. It's very important that we as believers follow through. You think about what the life of Jesus himself and, and his follow through. What, what kind of result would have happened if Jesus didn't follow through with what he came to do on earth? It's the same for us. Follow through is crucial. I'd like to read one more passage today, and that's found in, in Luke chapter 22. And this is, of course... Jesus, as he is about to go to be with the Father, he is on the eve of, of his crucifixion, right? He is, he's approaching that time where he has come to do the salvation of mankind. And he prepares for this moment with his disciples, and he prepares them for his departure. And so when the hour came, this is Luke 22, verse 14, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And then he took the bread and he gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus gave this graphic lesson to his disciples of what he was going to do for them, for us, for all mankind. And he'd been teaching up to this point, preparing people for this kingdom that was about to come, this new new covenant that he was opening up and, and establishing the kingdom for all mankind. And he's been teaching it, teaching it, and now he's saying, the time has come. This is what's going to happen happened to me. And so he breaks the bread as a sign of, of how he's going to do it. He, he pours out the wine as another sign of how his blood is going to cover our sins and, and bring us forgiveness in the eyes of the Father. And so he does this. He, he's taking action. But just moments later, he would follow through on it. But I want to read a passage where he is in the garden. And I want you to see that this just wasn't a gimme for him. Right? He had to follow through. Jesus understands how hard it is to follow through. He understands that, that, that faith can be hard. He understands that, that that trust has to be established. He understands that taking a stand and taking action is not easy. And he also understands that the follow-through is extremely difficult. Maybe even the most difficult piece of them all is the follow-through. Listen to him in verse 39 of Luke 22. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him, right? So now he's going to his, this place, where he has spent many times praying to the Father. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? Like, you don't see this in Jesus very often, but this is like... Oh, Father, I don't want to do this. I've been saying I'm going to do this. I've been prepping people for this. I really don't want to. There's got to be another way. Like, this is Jesus. He knows everything. He knew when he was making these statements throughout his life that this is what it was leading towards. He understood the, the, the depth of it. But yet it was still hard. He didn't want to follow through. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. But yet, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Like, that is some serious anguish. I, I, in my life, I've never gotten to the point and I don't think many people, at least in America, haven't got to the point of following through on something in their life that required them to, to, to be in such anguish that they're, that they're bleeding out. 
Like this is a clinical thing that they've proven that this can happen to those who are in such severe anguish that, that they start losing blood out of their skin. Like that's intense. Jesus didn't want to. And even with the, the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of him, he still struggled. He struggled to follow through. And when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. And then with that came Judas with the rest of the army who would take him away to what he just was praying for. So Jesus followed through. He did that for you. He did that for me. So that we could be right with the Father. But it's also an example for us to follow through. See, over the, the course of the past seven weeks, we've established many ways to win. Now it's time for you. You've You've heard the truth. Will you take action? Will you follow through? Will you take action and follow through on the truths God has been speaking to you about? It's your decision. It's not, it's not about winning the day and being cool and awesome. No, it's, it's about taking the stand for God, taking control of your life and prioritizing what's most important. It's about dreaming again, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to, to bring hope into your life, to, to make a difference, to create a legacy. God's been speaking. Are you willing to act and follow through on what God has been speaking to you? Because He will move. He will he will make the path straight. He will go before you. He will go behind you. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit to do exactly what he calls you to. But you have to stand up, take action, and not lose heart, not give up. Because as Galatians 6, 9 says and promises, you will reap a harvest if you don't fail. That is my prayer for you. That you will take a stand and that you will not give up. You will reap that harvest that God has for you that he's promised you. So, Father, I pray for every person listening. I pray that they will take that stand, that they will follow through. Jesus, you modeled it to us. It's not easy. It's not easy. We can, we can talk big. <laughs> we can trust. But when that, that, that ball drops, we have to take a stand and I pray that for every person listening God that they will stand they will trust you Holy Spirit and that they won't give up in Jesus name Amen thank you Nexus Church family for joining us today and we will see you again real soon